We're in Mark 8. If you were, and I know probably nobody here would ever do that, but if you weren't paying attention, the bulletin is not what you want to be looking at right now. Your sheet is there. Um, and I always thought about maybe saying, hey, you need to bring your Bibles, but I don't know. Bring them if you want. We're going to read through them. I, I, I'm, we're E-free, you know. We'll let you do whatever you want, you know. Some people like to listen to it. Some people like to, but, you know, it's okay uh, to bring it too, either way, however you want to do it. But just uh, don't take my word for it, okay? I mean, I'm trying to do good, but um, the sermon is not the main thing. It's to try to point you to the main thing. And I think that it, which is his word, which obviously the more main thing is the one who, who authored it, the Spirit, um, testifies to the Son and gets us to the Father. So remember that. So when we look, this is chapter 8 in, in Mark. Uh, we're, uh, we had a couple miracles, and we're going to get you another map here to kind of show you where we are. Uh, we do think we're in Gentile territory and as we read this, remember, he's been teaching for three days. So, and I realize I'm not Jesus, but you guys want to give me like a half hour. But, uh, so we, should we do three days? Any, want to do that? Yeah, not going to work. Is but where are we? We do think we're still in this area here. If you get this, you, this is Jerusalem. Here is Nazareth in this area called Galilee. Um, he was up here in Tyre's side. That's what we had last week. And then he came down and, and healed a deaf man in this Decapolis area. Um, and I think when we, we, we look at this, he's in Gentile territory, more than likely. Uh, because we've had something very similar to this a few chapters back, if you didn't remember. And we'll talk about that. So, starting in verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowds to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said and that, those, that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And they were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples, and went to the district of Delmanthuda. We don't really know where this place is. We think it's in this area right there where Magdala. Magdala, does that ring a bell? There was a Mary that was from there. Yeah, that's where the, so we think he comes over here eventually, but we'll get to that in, in just a little bit. The, uh, so this setting looks like a three-day conference more than just a one-day sermon. Um, so, you know, sometimes we, we think about that when, when, when you get your movie going in your mind of how this is working, and I think that's a good thing to do when you do n these narrative situations, you know, think about what, what would this look like. Uh, and sometimes that actually makes you get into the history a little bit, because you get, well, what would, what did it look like, you know, 
It's like, you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, a trolley car. No, that wouldn't have been there. Get, get away. Get away. You know, and you, 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 you sometimes you, you got to get the, try to get the, and it helps us understand. But they've been there three days. Now, presumably, they've been eating for three days. I, I don't think this was a fasting, but maybe it was. I don't know. But now they're hungry. Um, they'd run out of food. Uh, put yourself, if you can, there. You've been listening to Jesus for, well, let's go to the middle. We'll go to the two days. You coming back for the third day? Do you think you'd be worth listening to more? The people are captivated by him. Uh, it's just, and so I'm guessing they're ready to go day four, uh, five, six, whatever. But Jesus, he's the one that senses they're hungry, which is kind of interesting. He, he cares about the people. And this is my take, my movie, my mic, uh, <laughs> uh, it just seems like they're very, they have a very low level of spiritual awareness here. We don't know the time periods very well. Uh, geography's hard enough. Uh, they didn't write that way back then. You know, we do that. You know, I do that anyway. I mean, my kids can tell you, anybody that knows me, I'm a time geek. I am way over time person. I believe in the A theory of time, not the B theory. Of, no, we won't get into that. But the idea of, of you know, timing wasn't as big in this culture. But how long did this take? I don't know if you knew that, but and you can do this if you want. Go home, read through Mark. This could have taken a month and a half. It's kind of hard to know. You read through Matthew, it seems like, okay, it's a little bit longer than that. And Luke, okay, maybe we've got about a year going here. Then you get to John. Well, John's got a number of Passovers that he talks about. And as we do that, we, we throw the Passover here and he starts right before that, about five, six months. And then there's another Passover. Oh, that's a year and a half. And there's another Passover. And then he gets killed on the, that, that fourth one. So we think about three and a half years is how long this was. So what I'm trying to do in my movie is give, kind of throw the disciples a bone. Because they just seem like, he just did the 5,000 thing. And they're like, well, we don't have any food. And they're like, food. Couldn't you do it again? You know, it, it, you, know you wonder what's, I'm missing something, aren't I? And then this is where in a, in a life group you'd say, but, but pastor, we know you are great and wise, but duh. And then you find something out. And this, these life groups are great because you learn a lot of stuff. Bible studies are the same way. You know, I think, I'm, boy, I'm, I'm teaching this, doing good. And then somebody says something, it's like, all right. Yeah, that was stupid. Should have known that. You know, you learn both ways, I think. Uh, so if you do have any ideas here, I just, it just seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Because it's just chapter 6, but again, we don't know the timing. Uh, and there may be more to it. But they see, we do know, and we're doing this as we go through Mark, we're trying, th who, they're trying to figure out who he is. Which again is the most important information that anybody who's ever been created needs to find out. Who is Jesus? Every religion since he was around has puts him somewhere. And they're trying to figure out who he is, and I don't think they quite have it yet. Um, maybe they thought you only get one, you know, food miracle per year or something. I don't know. But uh, Or I just thought about that. Thanks for going through this a little bit too far. Um, they're in Gentile territory. 
Should have wrote this down. Anyway, um, maybe they think he won't do it there. Tell me write that down. Uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. But uh, you're going to find this a lot if you actually read the, the text and get into it. And I'm going to turn to 2 Kings 4 here um, because this is really interesting how this isn't the first time this stuff has happened. And that, that does happen a lot. I don't know if you remember, but there's three major times in the history of the world where there were a lot of miracles. You know, um, you've got back during the Exodus, a lot of miraculous things going on. Some positive miracles, parting of the Red Sea. Some negative miracles, killing the firstborn. Grasshoppers, frogs, lice. Need I say more? A lot of stuff. Water coming from a rock, bread coming from heaven. And all kinds of miraculous things. Then you don't see much. And then these two guys who have similar names but a little bit different, Elijah and Elisha, come along. And lots of miracles again. In fact, we just had the Syrophoenician woman being, have, had her daughter, had the demon exercise. Elijah actually raised one a, a kid of one of those people up there. So, interesting. So, verse 42 of chapter 4 of 2 Kings. A man came from Baal Shalisha. That rolls off the tongue. Bringing the man of God bread of first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain. So I got 20 loaves. And Elisha, which is the younger dude, said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, how can I set this before 100 men? So we get 20 loaves of barley. So he repeated, give them to the man that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them and they ate <laughs> this is cool. And had some left, <laughs> according to the word of the Lord. So this isn't that you notice Jesus is redoing some of this stuff. But think about it. You had some miracles at the Exodus time. You had some miracles, but Jesus, you know, so many more. I mean, we don't know. It's hard to know how many miracles he did. Because there's so many times in the Gospels where it says, and everyone who came to him that time was healed. Was that like eight? Hundred? 9,000? It's, it's hard to know. So he, he did a lot, lot, lot of miracles. And what does that show? Well, what does it show? The old covenant through Moses comes and God shows himself supernaturally to say, I'm with these people. And then the prophets get ushered in with Elijah and Elisha that I'm going to keep sending people. And he, he authenticates that. Well, how much better to... And th to have the Messiah come, and then those miracles authenticate who he is. And the last time we see, they're much, much lower. You can read the book of Acts, or you can come to Wednesday night, and we'll go through the book of Acts. I don't know what chapter we're in. You guys slow me down a lot, but I think we're in chapter 9 or so. A few more years, we'll be done. But there's a few, but what do they do? They authenticate the apostles' authority. You get a few, but not near as much as what Jesus did. So these miracles come, and Jesus is doing them at a higher level, but it's, he's doing very similar to what Elijah did here, which is, which is kind of cool, I think. He, he's doing the same thing over showing who he is. And you have these, and we're going to come back to this because he's going to come back to this to try to compare the two. Uh, but I was thinking... 
back to the life groups. If you do the math, if, you've, if your heart has beaded maybe anything more than 1.2 billion times, you probably shouldn't go to the younger, young adult one. Okay? Remember, you, you do the math. You know, so I think that's, once you're to 1.2 billion, you probably should go into the other ones. It's a little bit too much. So, so Jesus goes on. He does this. This is very similar to the first one, and we'll get into a little bit uh, the differences and similarities. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. So now, the other side, now he's back, you know, going back into the regular territory. So, they want a sign. Um, this is rhetorical, but you can yell it out if you want. If, if God asks you, or says to you, I, I will give you a sign, what would you say? No or yes? I hope he would. God's saying it, right? Now, God's not saying it here, right? And the problem with this is they're, they're seeking, and they say, a sign from heaven. It's like they, they don't just want a miracle. They want one that's conclusive. Give me what I want. This is what they're saying. You know, and he's saddened, by it seems like, by their lack of desire to truly seek God and trust him. Um, you notice Jesus never does any sign or miracle for those who reject him, ever. In fact, he doesn't even go to those places. He, we've already had people who didn't know him be healed, but not people who rejected him. And these guys are rejecting him. And it's really strong. I will give you no sign. Um, well, what's he implying? Has he done any signs? He just did the ear thing. He just had the 4,000 people thing. He's been doing lots of signs. What's he talking about? I say to you, no sign will be given to this, to you. Jesus isn't a parlor trick. And that's out there today. We've got to be so careful with this, the seeking the sign. Jesus seems to think that these guys should have listened to what other people said about what he did understood that the Messiah from Isaiah and other places was going to be a miracle worker. That was the sign of his coming. And believe in him by his words. That this was sufficient. But this seeking for a sign theology is present today. It appears that people say that Jesus' words recorded in the Bible and the eyewitness testimony, which we're getting, this is really Peter's eyewitness testimony through Mark, Apparently, that's not sufficient for people today either. You know, no, I need a sign. You know, I need more. So here's what you have. You have God who says, I have revealed myself in, in, in Jesus Christ. I have given you my word through the power of the Spirit. And God says, this should be a sufficient for you to know who I am. That in the power of the Spirit in our hearts. And people are saying, no, I need more. It's out there. People that I just read it. More people who are Christian believe in this theology than don't. The idea that if we say the right words or act the right way, that God will pop all these miracles. 
into existence. That's out there. So who's in charge if we're the ones telling God when he can work? Yeah. Some of you I know really well, some not as well, but I'm sorry, I don't trust you as much as I trust him. And you shouldn't trust me as much as you trust him. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. It's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Is it enough what we have here? Now, does that mean if you have somebody, something in your life that is, is hurting your heart, you know, somebody, you're sick, somebody's sick, you know, you've got financial trouble, whatever. Does that mean you can't pray for God to work miraculously? You know, I would. I wouldn't put the miraculously part on it. He can work whatever way he wants. But if that is what's going to verify your faith, that's the problem, right? Um, I think we want to go back and think about what the Bible actually said. Um, I don't, oh, I don't want to spoil the ending, but do you, you, know, you know he gets killed, right? Did he forget that if he would have just been faithful, he would have been able to avoid that? You know, it doesn't make sense, does it, to think that. Um, and of course, all the apostles that followed him, it went really well with them after that, right? I mean, Paul, John, James, you know, nobody ever bothered them because they had miraculous power. <laughs> yeah. I, I just be careful with this stuff. Is, is Jesus sufficient or not? That's really what it comes down to. You know, our church says that we believe that the Bible is, is the authority. Doesn't mean you can't read other stuff. You can listen to sermons. You can read books. You can watch movies. You can do those are all great, but the the main authority is the word because it's what God has given us and what Jesus has said He was going to do. We believe the Old Testament because Jesus said it was always true. We believe the New Testament because He said He was going to have His Spirit come and make sure you get everything right. John fourteen, if you want to read it. Well, I'm giving you a lot of reading, aren't I? All of Mark and John fourteen at this point. I'm sure some of you are writing that down, right? So just be careful with this. It's, again, who's in charge? You know, you've got this. This was an old atheist thing. If God would just show me a sign, I would believe in him. That's almost what they're saying, right? And Jesus is turning around saying, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. I mean, what would happen today if we all went out and were in the parking lot and somebody came and said, I'm an atheist, show me something. And all of a sudden in the clouds we saw, I am. God, I exist. What would the person say, you think? Who did that? This is a trick. You know, I mean, who knows what they would say out of their heart? I mean, maybe they would say. But again, that's, that's not it. It's something, this is supposed to be sufficient, and we sometimes make it. Think about that. It's just logic. If you need more, or people need more than it's already here, then obviously this isn't sufficient. And every cult or add-on religion out there always adds to it. Just think about it. You can do it. Think about American Christian sects. They're probably not even Christian. What do they do? Add books. Islam. Another book. What's that tell you? If you got to have another book, apparently the book you have isn't enough. And that's why we come back to that. So, Jesus, uh, to sum up, Jesus says no to them, uh, just to let you know. Verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread. What is wrong with these people? 
They had seven extra baskets. Anyway, moving on. And they had only one loaf with them in the, in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are, you, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? And then we don't get any more. Because as we read this, we're like, I'm not sure I do, but we'll try. <laughs> so Jesus uses the occasion of this multiplication of the bread miracle to teach the disciples something, something important about the influence of others in their lives, and especially because he just talked to the Pharisees. So he's, even though I do think it takes a little deep thinking, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's okay, we can do that. You're all pretty smart. I think we can do this. You know, lots of people are in school. Logic is good. We can do this. He does appear to be disappointed that they're not getting this, doesn't he? Again, back to your movie, is Jesus this kind of casual here? Or is he kind of maybe a little bit, what's wrong with you? You know, what's, what's his expression? You know, I've got him kind of like, what is, what's the problem with you people? You're talking about bread. It's got nothing to do with bread. I think that's, it's kind of like if a kid came up and said, I don't know what he was talking about. Something about my heartbeat. Well, that wasn't the point. <laughs> what are you talking about heartbeats for? It's supposed to be talking about God sustaining you, right? So leaven, which we don't use that word. I don't. I don't. I didn't even know what that word. I think until I was like thirty. Uh, yeast is what we usually use, but leaven. I thought when I was a little kid, it was a number after ten. But uh, so it works its way all into the portions of the dough, and, and I'm. I'll just have to. I'm. I, I'm. I can count on one hand how many times I've done the bread thing. You know. I, I know how to make bread. You, you just go to Fairway, right? It's not that hard. Yeah. So it's, it's often used as a metaphor uh, for influence in the New Testament, both good and bad, mostly bad. Um, if you go to Matthew 13, 33, these kingdom parables, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. Again, I... Don't use those types. Of, but it's the idea of good influence there, right? So just think of leaven as influence. Most of the time it's bad. And in, in 1 Corinthians 5, you see an example of that. Your boasting is not good. Do you not? So that's a problem. There's some evil getting in. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Well, what's he talking about that for? Well, remember Passover when they, they left, and they left really quick, and they, you know what kind of bread they took with them? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't wait for it to write, you know, so that's, that's the whole idea. Let's therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So it's a metaphor for a lot of times for not having evil influence. So he's using that here for the Pharisees. Um, and you think about, when you think about the term influence in our lives, often influence our thoughts and actions, don't they? 
Um, not just the people, what you read, watch, and listen to will influence your life. Um, I mean, how you can decide how you want to do that, but it does make a difference on what we, what we listen to, the demeanor of people. This is true both for our peers and our leaders, right? Um, you, you look at Jesus when he, he seemed pretty upset at these Pharisees, wasn't he? But yet you had this Syrophoenician woman last week come that didn't know him from Adam, really, that wasn't a Jew, and he's really compassionate to her. Why? Why is he, in fact, he's kind of upset at these guys, a little bit. He doesn't throw them out of the boat, but he's definitely not happy with them. You think about what are you looking for? We had this verse on, on, on our, uh, uh, this morning when we were going through our Roman study. This is in James. It's also in First Peter. James 4-something and First Peter 5-something. You can look it up. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is a very good thought to have. And every time, are these Pharisees proud or humble? Give us a sign because we're in charge. I don't know about the, <laughs> I think the, the disciples are just kind of ignorant right now. Um, I don't know if they're humble or proud, but that they can get either way. But I think about that Jesus was warning the disciples about the evil influence of many of the Pharisees and the corrupt Herod Antipas, which we, we see. Um, both their false teaching and their hypocritical behavior. You know, he, he, he'll say later, you know, do what they say, but don't do what they do. So when you think every follower of Christ should associate primarily with those that influence your lives to honor God. And if you can't remember that, you can get this handy-dandy bracelet that says WWHG, right? You all know what that means, right? What would honor God? Well, would it honor God for you to uh, associate primarily with people who run him down, run your family down, and make you end up going places and doing things that God would not honor? That would be stupid, right? Doesn't mean you can't associate to some extent, but that shouldn't be the people that you draw from. You know, it's back to our life groups. Why do we do that? Well, we, we want you to start getting to know people that also know Jesus. In my life, I've got close friends that none of them live in Denison. I, you know, I've got a few that live in Denison, but most of them are way people I met a long time ago. One of my closest friends lives in Nashville. Why? Why is he a close friend? Jesus. I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, it's the key. It's always the key. You can only get so far. I can only talk about the weather, farming, and sports for so long. I want to get down to something more important. You know, and if I'm going to call somebody, if I'm down and I want some pastoral counseling, ah, you know, it's great if you can tell me the, about the game yesterday, but really, I'd really like to know how you know, more about your faith right now. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. And the life groups, the way we do, you try to get closer and closer to those that you can trust. The ones who point us, we always do this in weddings, you know, it's the, you know, you get that from Ecclesiastes, you know, with the idea of you get the, the husband and the wife and, you know, and here's God. And the whole idea, you want, as you get closer to God, it gets you closer to each other. Well, that's true in any relationship, right? And 
And Paul says it clearly. You, 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 yes, associate with people who don't know him. How is they going to know him? But will you draw your depth of relationship that should be people that influence you for good. You get a couple places in, in the Bible that says this from Paul. First Corinthians, don't be deceived. Bad company runs ruins good morals. That's that's kind of a and then First Thessalonians, encourage each other with these words. Well what words? Well this is First Thessalonians four eighteen. So you could probably think there's seventeen more verses and three more chapters before this. Encourage each other with these words. This is what he's talking, and with these guys, you know, beware of the influence of people who don't follow Jesus. doesn't mean you can't be friends with them to some extent, but that's the key, right? You don't want to be, as they say in marriages, unequally yoked, <laughs> but that's true with any relationship. Um, and, and again, you know, this is my interpretation of it. If you don't like it, then of course you're wrong, right? <laughs> No, I mean, show me from Scripture. I, I think that, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes from John Wesley, who was uh, probably wouldn't be the happiest person on where the Methodist Church is going right now in a lot of places, but that's another discussion. Um, he's arguing with somebody about a particular ideological point or theological point. It's something to do with salvation and, and, and works and grace and uh, and I'll try to do justice to this because he was such a good turner of a phrase. And so he's looking at the guy and he's made, it, uh, he's made his case using scripture after scripture. And the other guy's made his case, not a lot of scripture. And he says, I expect that you will soon give me some citations from holy scripture about what you are trying to put forth. Because I have not yet been convinced that you are wiser than God. That's a good line. That's what you want. You want people that may not be able to quote chapter and verse, but they'll say, you know God loves you. You know God. That's what it's about. Because there's times when you're down, you want somebody that's up. You know, it might be fun for 50 people to all be down at the same time, but that sounds kind of, eh. That's what happens when your team loses, right? But no, one's up, the other. Encourage each other. There's always somebody that, that got in a church, certainly, that's going to have that. So, he, you have to. You want the influence that that is always going to lift you up. And if you have relationships with other people who don't, doesn't mean you need to get rid of. But don't use those as your go-to people, because those bring you down with it, right? I mean, even Jesus did, right? I mean, Judas had to be annoying, so he didn't bring Judas with him. He brought James, John, and Peter most of the time. They must have been more of uplifters or whatever, encouragers. Maybe. I don't know. I digress. So, now, the specifics of this two miraculous events. You have, they clearly saw the miracles the disciples did. They had been directly taught by Jesus, yet they still did not understand. But this is kind of hard, isn't it? What's, what's going on here? Well, other than their spiritual dullness, we don't really any, get any direct reasons, but this is possible, and I like to, some people I, I've t said, well, well, you just need to tell us what's true. And it's like, well, I'm just, I'm not, this is an educated guess. If Jesus wanted us to know exactly, we'd have something after verse 21. Um, I wasn't in the boat. All I have is what's here, right? Um, but the Jews first, we had that last week. Remember, he says, I go to the Jews first. When he talks to the woman, he says, it's not good to take the bread away from God's people, the children of God, and throw it to the dogs. 
And we talked about how in very many scriptures, he says, I go to the Jews first, and then there's going to be a Gentile later. So there's, a, there's an order. So you think about the two miraculous feedings. You've got in Jewish territory, 12 baskets. Well, that 12 number is not, that's not hard, right? I mean, 12 seems to kind of show up once in a while in the Bible. There's 12 tribes. There's 12 apostles. There's some 12s going on. Get the book of Revelation. You get the, the, the metaphoric new Jerusalem. Well, maybe it's not metaphoric. I shouldn't say it. The new Jerusalem <laughs> that has three gates on each side, and on each gate is the name of each tribe, and its foundation is the name of each apostle. I mean, there's something going on here with this 12 thing. Always the 12. So tribes and apostles, that's what's left over. I mean, I was thinking maybe in the feeding of the 5,000, you just, everybody got a basket of food. You know, it's kind of cool. It's, it's perhaps showing that Jesus is the bread of life, which we get from John 6 and that same thing. He's the fulfillment, and they get more than they need. He's giving more than's even needed. We get that the Lord is my shepherd, and later in there, my cup overflows. Well, so does your bread, apparently. So I think that we kind of talked about that. Now you get to the Gentiles. He says after the Jews. This comes somewhere between two weeks and three years later. With seven baskets. Well, what's seven? Well, that's a number two. How many lampstands does Jesus walk through in Revelation 1? How many cities does he write a letter to? What is the mark of the beast? Seven less one. Seven's the word for perfection. In fact, in, in Hebrew, it's Sheba is the word for completion. So it's something about that he's saying, now this is complete. We've got the Jews and then we've got the Gentiles. It's showing that Jesus is necessary and sufficient both for Jews and Gentiles. I'm necessary and sufficient for all, all people. If you got a better one, let me know. I think that's pretty good. I think I came up with it myself, but I'll probably figure out that I stole it from somebody. And if I do, I'll let you know later. But in Luke 12, I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. That's not as wonderful, but it is a promise. It's, it's, he, he's all or nothing. So maybe they're so focused on his miracles they couldn't what was exactly going on that was who he was. I, I don't know. Um, but again, where do you want to get your influence from? Something that's temporal or material or someone who's eternal and always with you. And are we going to listen to what he tells us to do or are we going to tell him what we want? We're going to hopefully, and this is what's cool about reading through this, we don't have to be as stupid as they are. We can learn from their mistakes. Isn't that great? Learn from other people's mistakes. Don't major in the minors, you know. Don't be, you become more concerned with what God might do for us. Don't do that material. It doesn't matter. It's all going to go away. The only thing you're going to have left is relationships. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. That goes on eternally. And if you do get any stuff later, let's let him figure it out. Right now, let's just focus on what's important. Let us pray. Father, we uh, know as we read through these, sometimes it's a little hard to understand exactly what you mean. And we do kind of feel for the disciples for 
trying to understand this, but something's going on there, of course, that tells us that we need to focus on Jesus. Uh, may each one of us not be proud, not think that we have some sort of right to a relationship with you, but uh, help us be humble, knowing that you give us what we need always. You're always there with us. You protect us from evil. And we know that you provide not just bread, uh, not just fish, but your spirit to help us know you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.